right, Genesis chapter 10 tonight. This is one of those chapters I just said, okay, God, I need your help. I always need his help. But this is basically genealogy stuff, right? So this is the kind of stuff you just sort of go, yep, next chapter, right? But a couple things. Genesis 10 and 11 are the bridge that God uses to take us from Noah to Abraham. So obviously, there's a lot of history that's being sort of quickly dealt with. Why does God do that? Not because every individual's not important. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But there are some individuals throughout history, Noah being one, Abraham being another, that lived to make God's name great. And God blessed them, and they then were a blessing to so many others. And those are the people in the Bible that God highlights. Because God wants to encourage us through their story and their testimony. But before we get to that tonight, we come to Genesis chapter 10. And you'll see right there in verse 1, this is the account or the successive generations, the descendants of Noah's sons. Shem, Ham, and Japheth, sons that were born to him. And this chapter can be easily divided. You have the sons of Japheth, or the descendants of Japheth, from verses 2 through 5. Then you have the sons of Ham, from verse 6 through verse 20. And then you have the sons born to Shem, verses 21 through 32. So that's the division, if you will, of the chapter the descendants of each of Noah's sons. And let's remember something as we come to this. We learned last week in verse 19 of chapter 9 that the whole earth was populated by the three sons and their wives of Noah. All the human race descended from one family, and therefore, all mankind is of great value and significance to God. I want us to be reminded of that when you come to these kind of passages in the Bible. For instance, verse 2, the sons of Japheth were Gomer and Magog and Madai and Javan and Tubal and Meshech. Maybe those names don't mean anything to us, but what it shows is that God values every person, and that he knows every person by name, and he knows every detail of our life and every life that exists on planet Earth and ever has existed. You, that alone, I mean, you want to talk, talk about raising your view of God. When you begin to just ponder and think about just all the information that God has stored in himself about every human being. I mean, he knows everything about us, down to the minutest detail. He said about how many hairs we have on our head. Well, that, that might not stretch God too much with me, but 
There's other details of my life that God knows intimately, right? And he knows that about every last one of us. And so when we come to passages like this, let's not forget how cool would that be if our name was in there. We think that's the greatest verse in the Bible. You know, though we may easily pass over it. That's one thing that we can get from this. But the other thing going on here is that each of these sons and their descendants formed eventually what were the nations of the world. In fact, you see this. Look at verse 5. The descendants of Japheth came from the coastlands of the nations and were separated into their lands, everyone according to its language, according to their families, and by their nations. Look at verse 20. The sons of Ham, according to their families, according to their languages, by their lands and by their nations. And then verse 31. The descendants of Shem. These are the sons of Shem, according to their families, according to their languages, by their lands and according to their nations. Now, I believe that the record of what's going on here in chapter 10 actually takes place chronologically after chapter 11, which is the Tower of Babel where God scatters everybody throughout the earth. Remember, the Bible's not necessarily laid out in chronological order. So I believe that what we are reading about in chapter 10 actually takes place after the events of chapter 11 that we're going to look at next week. Because it talks about how they were scattered, they were spread out at this point. All, they, all the peoples began to fill in all the names, because that was God's desire, that the entire earth be filled, if you will. You see. In fact, you see this in verse 32. These are the families of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies, by their nations, and from these nations spread over the earth after the flood. When we come to this passage, I want us not only to be reminded of the value of every individual before God, including us. You and I have to put ourselves in there. God thinks just as much of us as he does any other person he ever made. And we've got to come to grips with that. We've got to see ourselves the way God sees us or begin to see ourselves the way God. There is no one who's ever been more valuable to God than us or significant. There's nobody that God loves more than us. God loves us just as much as he does anybody he ever made. And we've got to be settled in that and reconcile that in our own hearts and minds. We're just as important and significant and of value and worth than anybody else. But God not only looks at the world through us individually, he also looks at us through the world of nations because we're going to see at the end of the message today it is God who established the nations it is God who set the boundary of the nations it is God who formed the nations so that one day according to the book of Revelation there will be people in glory who will praise and worship God and serve him and love him for all of eternity from every nation, every tribe, every kindred, every language, every culture, everyone on earth will be represented in heaven. Every nation, every people group. Think about that. 
every people group. And what then I begin to think about when I come to a passage like Genesis 10 is that God not only wants us to think individually and personally and apply things to us individually and personally and other people individually and personally, God wants us as Christians to think missionally. He wants us to be burdened for the nations. He wants us to be part of his reaching the nations in a way. So you and I have to think through how do I manifest my love for other people who as yet maybe do not know God? And what part am I playing? Are we as even a church playing in reaching people outside of our little circle? Well, let's take this for a minute because this is, this is something you and I need. How do we even as a church reach outside our circle right here? to our community, and how can we do that more effectively and better? How do we reach beyond our, you know, confines of just this area to the state of Arizona, and then to our country, and then beyond that, beyond our borders of our nation to other nations? And I'm not saying that God expects each of us to be the world answer for everything. It's just that God, I believe, would lay it on our hearts to do our part. So, for instance, you know, is there a ministry outside of our ministry that is reaching beyond where we are that you pray for and that you maybe support? Is there someone beyond your confines that you pray for, who's in missions or ministry somewhere beyond our borders or whatever, and, and we can support. Obviously, as a church, we're doing that, and in a couple of weeks, we're going to actually even bring somebody new to many of you who's going to be sharing her ministry of reaching Japan for the Lord, and how we as a church can partner with her in doing that as well. We already, you know, support uh, Josh and Anishka uh, in Eastern Europe. We obviously have an influence in Mexico and Mexicali through the Olacheas and that church there. And we have things like, uh, you know, the, uh, the Christian athletes that uh, we support here in the state of Arizona in this area through Jenna and her ministry. I think when you come to a chapter like this, that's what God is reminding us of. Is it's great that we take care of ourselves and our little corner of the world, but God always wants us to think beyond ourselves to how we can be a part and play a part in reaching other peoples. God may not call us to be a missionary, to literally go to a foreign country or even beyond the borders of, of, of our state to other parts of our country or whatever.
but God may call us to support somebody who is and pray for somebody who is doing that and support them and encourage them and all that. That's one of the things that God really spoke to me about in Genesis chapter 10 because he's not just the God of individuals, individuals who allow him to work through them to bless others. He's the God of the nations, the God of something much bigger than us. And when God takes us from outside and brings us inside and brings us to him, he always wants to remind us throughout our walk with him that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. And so we need to have that perspective at all times. We've got to go from having a very narrow focus as far as just being focused on our lives and realize that there's a whole big world out there that needs God, and what part does God want me to play in it? Again, God is not expecting any of us to be the answer. All I'm saying today is all of us, though, have to ask ourselves, what part does God want me to play in reaching the nations? Now, you'll notice also an interesting phrase at the end of chapter 10, verse 32. It's actually the last three words of the chapter after the flood. This is significant because this is repeated three times. Notice at the end of chapter 9, verse 28, the very last verse of chapter 9, after the flood, Noah lived 350 years. And then if you come down to verse 1, of chapter 10. This is the account of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to him after the flood. Why is that phrase significant? Because that meant there was something after the flood. They survived the flood. They made it. Remember we said a couple weeks ago, one of the significant things about Noah is just he was a survivor. He survived a worldwide flood. Why is that important? Because many times in our life, we're going through a season of something. Like we're talking about Job. Maybe it's a season of trial or tribulation or obstacles or opposition or pain or suffering or anything. And what we have to be encouraged by is there's going to come an after. The flood did not exist forever. There was an after to the flood. One of the phrases that God uses throughout the Bible is, and it came to pass. It came to pass. Seasons of our life do not last forever. We go from one season into another season. And when you and I look at that phrase, after the flood, we can be encouraged that Noah and his family, through the faithfulness of God that we sung about tonight, survived the flood, and that there was something after the flood. There sure was. There was a whole new world out there, a world that you and I eventually came from, because we didn't come from the pre-flood world. That world was destroyed by the flood. We came from the post-flood world. And everyone on earth today comes from the post-flood world, the three sons of Noah that we are looking at here in Genesis chapter 10. Literally, all the nations were formed starting with 
those three. Now think about that. God doesn't need a lot of people to start something great. God just needs a few people who are committed. That's what we learn early on in the New Testament from the book of Acts or even from the gospel. Jesus didn't need a lot of disciples. He just needed a few that would be committed and faithful, and through them he could turn the world upside down. Listen, in the Old Testament, God just needed a faithful family, Noah and his, and his faithful family, to start the world over again and to repopulate it and to do something great by making the nations of the world. God started with something very small and made something very great. And God doesn't need a lot in our life. All we have to do is make what we have that he's already given us available to him, and our great God can multiply it and use it to reach many, many people beyond what we could ever imagine because God doesn't need a lot to work with. Remember, the book of Genesis starts out with our God creating the entire universe out of what? Nothing. Nothing. So we should be encouraged by the phrase, after the flood. Well, let's talk then for a few moments about some of the highlights of this chapter. It starts with Japheth. Why does it start with Japheth? It sort of turns it around. Shem, Ham, and Japheth, but now Japheth is first in line here as far as the genealogy and really is given less print, if you will, than the other two. I believe it's because the descendants of Japheth moved to what we would call today uh, modern Europe and the Scandinavian countries and the countries that were further away from Israel. And remember, God isn't writing to us in the Bible a history of the world. He is telling us he's very involved in history of the world, but he's simply telling us, I'm telling you the story of how I've worked through certain people and certain groups of people and communities of people and nations like the nation of Israel to reach the world and tell them about me. That's what the Bible's about. So it's not an exhaustive story of the history of the world. So I think for many reasons, the descendants of Japheth being further away from Israel and God's chosen people than any other, there really isn't too much to say. Other than, you'll notice there in verse 5, that they inhabited a lot of the coastlands around the Mediterranean. They were a seafaring people. They were a people uh, like the, uh, you know, where we got a lot of our explorers from, you know, the Spanish and the Portuguese and those that, that sailed ships and, you know, went around the world. But you also notice, again, it says, they separated into their lands. And this word is repeated over in verse 32. In the Net Bible, it's translated spread. God dispersed them. God scattered them. And we're going to talk more about this next week when we look up the Tower of Babel. But let's remember something. People did not obey the command of God. God told Adam and Eve and then told Noah and told Noah to tell everybody, I need you to keep on moving and spread out throughout the world. And they didn't obey God. They settled down. And so God had to intervene and push them out by confusing their language. And, and that's a great picture for us 
of God and again giving man free will and choice and responsibility, but ultimately his sovereignty wins out because he's in control. And that's what we talked about Sunday with the book of Job. God is still so great that he can give man a free choice, but at the same time, at any point, God can say, I'm going to intervene because my will will be done. And God's will was, we're not just going to settle in one part of the earth. We're going to settle in every part of the earth that is inhabitable or that is habitable so that every part of the earth will be represented in heaven one day from every people group. Okay? Then we come to the sons of Ham in verse 6. And really, a couple things I want to note. There is a notable interruption in the account of Ham's descendants. Usually it's just one name right after the other, right? Except when you get to verse 8. There we are introduced to a man by the name of Nimrod. And now all of a sudden, God wants to take a few verses and talk about this one man. Why? Because even though this man was not a God follower, he was significant. He was somebody that even God took note of while he was alive on the earth. He became a valiant warrior on the earth. But that word literally means a tyrant behaving proudly, magnifying himself. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. You say, well, you know, what, what, a, what clues are there that he was, say, a, a bad guy rather than a good guy? Well, notice in verse 10, one of the places that he founded were cities in a land called Shinar, S-H-I-N-A-R, the end of verse 10 of chapter 10. Where was the Tower of Babel built? Look at chapter 11, verse 2. In the plain in where? Shinar. See, Nimrod was behind the Tower of Babel. Something else we learn about Nimrod and the descendants of Ham. <laughs> they end up, for the most part, being the people's that were thorns in the flesh of the nation of Israel throughout their history. Notice some of the notable building projects that came through Nimrod's influence. Names that you will recognize. Look at verse 10. Recognize Babel, from where we eventually got the city Babylon and the Babylonians. Oh, and then there's another city that you'll recognize in verse 11, he also built a city called Nineveh from Jonah fame, where Jonah was sent there. And then you have other uh, names that you'll recognize. Verse 14, the Philistines came from the descendants of Ham. The Canaanites, verse 15, came from the descendants of Ham. In fact, what I call all the ites, that bothered the nation of Israel and that, that caused them even uh, consternation and fear in the book of Joshua that we're going to learn about in the future. All came from the descendants of Ham, verse 16 and 17, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, eventually the Canaanites, you see. Notice also Sodom and Gomorrah, verse 19 were part. So you get the idea. The descendants of Ham were not a godly line. 
<laughs> they were an ungodly line, which reminds us again of a principle. God values every person and gives every person free will. So here you have three sons and their descendants all coming from the same mother and father, Noah and his wife, and yet they made very different choices. Shem was a worshiper of God. Shem was a God follower. But Ham and his descendants, they chose to go the other way. And we're going to see that this isn't the only time that this happened. It, again, you and I see it in our own families. Children can go, grow up in the same home, under the same parents, same influence and all that, and one can go for the Lord and the other one can choose not to because it all comes down to their own heart, you see, and their own personal choice and will before God. And you see that even with the sons of Noah. I don't think any children would have had a better role model than Noah, but Ham and his descendants certainly were not godly people. In fact, again, they became much of the enemies that Israel has fought with throughout history and continues to fight with to this day. Well, a couple other things. Notice then in verse 21, the descendants of Shem. The very first thing we see there is that the father of all the sons uh, of Shem was a man by the name of Eber. It is from Eber that the Hebrew people would descend, the Heberites, and it became the Hebrews. They were the ones that were primarily worshipers of the Lord. And you'll notice in this line of Shem that there's two descendants that particularly stand out. There were two sons in verse 25 born to Eber. One was named Peleg, whose name, by the way, means earthquake. And another son named, named Yachtan, whose name means smallness, after the earth was divided after Babel. Why is that significant? Because Yachtan, one of the sons of Eber, became an ungodly line within the line or descendants of Shem, where Peleg and his descendants became the godly line through which eventually Abraham would come. In fact, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but if you go over to chapter 11, verse 10, you see that next week, instead of picking up the line of Yachtan, which is what basically Moses does for the rest of chapter 10, he lets Peleg off. In chapter 11, verse 10, he's now tracing the line of Shem through Peleg. Because if you come down to verse 16, you see that we pick up Peleg, and then after Peleg, his descendants, that goes all the way through verse 26, Terah, who was the father of Abram, and then you have the account of Terah in verse 27, leading all the way down to chapter 12 till we get to Abraham. That's the bridge. So even within the descendants of Shem, again, choices to be made. Yachtan and his descendants do not become, for the most part, God followers. Peleg and his descendants 
are now part of the chain, if you will, a godly chain that goes all the way from Noah all the way to Abraham. Now, here's what I want to encourage you with before we wrap this up tonight. You and I, all of us, are part of a very long chain. A chain that started before us and a chain that will go on long after us. We are simply a link along that chain. And what God expects and hopes for each of us in that linkage is that if we did not come from a godly link, that we start a godly link that we then can pass on to those after us. And if that we did come from a godly link or lineage or legacy, that we continue that and maintain that to pass that on to those after us. We cannot, we don't have any, you know, responsibility for those who came before us, and we don't have any responsibility for those who came after us. But God does hold us responsible for what we did with our lives and what we then pass on to those who will come after us. And what we do with what's passed on to us, whether it's godliness or ungodliness, at any point, we have the choice to start something with God. Well, for the rest of our time together tonight, would you turn over with me to the book of Acts, chapter 17? Because these couple of verses really tie in with what's going on in Genesis chapter 10. Acts chapter 17. And I couldn't help but just, as, as Nicole was praying and talking, I couldn't help but just smile because I'm thinking she, she's talking about what we're going to be ending with right here. I want to begin in verse 26 of Acts 17. From one man, you could say, well, is that man Adam or is that man Noah? I personally think it's Adam through Noah. From one man, God made every nation of the human race to inhabit the entire earth. So again, we all come from one source. By the way, because people didn't believe God and his word, I know some of you who are older know this. I'm not quite that old yet, so I had to do some research. But up through World War II, do you know that the Red Cross separated blood based on skin color? Because they thought that there was a difference with people, that they came from different sources. And so up through World War II, Red Cross would separate blood based on your skin color and on your background. If they had just believed what God said, we all come from one source, there is no difference in our blood, and we can all share our blood no matter where we come from because we all come from one source. But then notice this. It is also God in his sovereignty who determines their set times for all the nations. God is the one who not only determines where the nations are placed on the earth, because that comes next, the fixed limits of the places where they would live. God determined where every nation would be on planet Earth. 
but God also determines how long a nation will exist. Think about that, including ours. God has a set determination for how long the United States will exist as a nation, just as he has the Roman Empire and the Greek Empire and the Egyptian Empire and all the empires and all the nations down through the earth. God has a starting point for them and God has an ending point, and it's all in conjunction with his eternal purpose. God's in control. But why does God do that? Why is God in the details of where nations are on the earth and on the globe, why, you know, is Italy here and shaped like that? And, you know, why is, you know, Bolivia down here in South America and all that? Why does God do all that? And, and why does God determine? Here's the purpose, verse 27. So that they would search for God. It means so that every human being who's ever been born would, would have an interest in seeking after God and perhaps grope or literally feel around for him. It means taking the time to not only be interested in, in finding God, but to take the time to personally investigate so that they would eventually notice these two words, find him, come to know him personally. Here's what blows me away. Verse 27 of Acts 17 is saying this, and this is something that even we as Christians have to accept by faith. God has placed every human being who's ever lived where he placed them on the planet so that they would have the best position or be positioned strategically to find him. Think about that. It's not random where God placed all these people, including you and I. God placed every human being where he placed them, in the nation, in the country, in the community, in the family, and all that, so that they would be in the best position to find him. And that means coming from godly lines and legacies and coming from ungodly lines and legacies. That sort of blows our, you know, even perspective as Christians, like, well, God, what do you, you know, I, you hear this question all the time, even from Christians, the time I was a child in church, what about those people that live in deepest, darkest Africa or the jungles of the Amazon or something? It seems like, you know, we even think as Christians, like, well, they don't have as good a chance to come to God because of where God places them on the planet as he does us. Not according to Acts 17, 27. According to that, even those people are placed there because God says that is the best place to put them in order for them to find me. And you and I, whether we believe that or not, there will be people from every tribe, every culture, every people group in heaven one day to prove that God was right, that he knew what he was doing that they had no less advantage of coming to God than you and I do, and that God placed them there. That, that's what shows, again, the love that God has for the salvation of people and for people coming to him, is that he's even strategic of where we are placed and when we're born and all that that we talked about Sunday because it puts us in the best position to find him so that if we do reject God, we have, we have rejected him from the best possible position that we could have been put in as a human being to find him. 
Because notice, Luke goes on to say, and I'll wrap it up with this, though he is not far from each one of us, he's actually near. God is not distanced from any one of us. For notice what Luke then says in verse 28. It is in him and only in God we live and move about and exist. In other words, Luke is saying, we are all, no matter where we're born and what nation we're from, we are all totally dependent upon God. We are totally dependent upon God as human beings to, first of all, just exist. We wouldn't be in the world if it wasn't for God. Second, we living and, and, and being alive every day is only because it's God's will. God is the source of our life every day. And our movements, the ability of our muscles and our ligaments and all of that to be able to move and go about our day and do what we do is because of God. It's all because of God. We are all, whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we worship God for it or not, every human being that's ever been born on planet Earth, no matter what nation they are in, is totally dependent and relying on God for everything, including every breath, as we saw in the book of Job, that is in the hands of God. You and I would not exist without God. We would not be alive tonight without God. And we would not be able to move and go home tonight and go to sleep and get up tomorrow without God. It's all because of God. And he loves us so much, every one of us, that he not only died for us so that we might come to a personal relationship with him, but he did everything short of overriding our free will and free choice to put us in the best position possible on earth to find him. That's our God. Let's pray. Father God, we pray tonight that even though, Lord, these chapters and verses can be a challenge, God, that we not only realize the value of each individual before you, including ourselves, God, but that we begin to think missionally outside of ourselves and realize, God, you so love the world that you gave your one and only son. You love every person in the world, and you love us equally, God. There's no one that, that you love more or less. We're all of equal value and worth to you, no matter what nation we're from, what our skin color is, what our background, what our language is, what our culture is, because we all are learning through the book of Genesis. We all come from one source. And God, every day we are totally dependent upon you. We could not do anything without you, including breathe. Every breath, Lord, is a gift from you. And so, Lord, I just pray tonight that we would just be mindful of that, that, God, as we live and as we move, <laughs> that we would worship you, God, for that ability, knowing that it all comes from you and all goes back to you, God. And help us, Lord, to do our part to maybe tell others about Jesus and reach others or support those that are out there in other parts of our country or our world that you've called to that ministry. God, help us to be an encouragement and a support spiritually, emotionally, and maybe even financially to them so that they can continue to do the work that you've called them to do. And help us as a church, God, to have the wisdom to know who you would like us to partner with and come alongside that we might continue to expand our ministry beyond our borders of, of Gilbert, Arizona. 
God, just give us a heart like you have, God, for other people. And help us to see our own value before you tonight, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.